It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. This episode is brought to you by Zencaster, the amazing platform I've been using to record the audio and video versions of this show since March 2020. It is the number one tool I recommend to podcasters. So if you're thinking of starting your own show or optimizing one you already have, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try and you can enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of the pro plan. WELLEVATOR is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. My guest today has a wonderful phrase on her website that says, being fit isn't limited to skin color, physique, and gender. If you have a body, you can do yoga. I love that. I think that is such an important statement. It's also very rare. It's not something that I've noticed a lot. One thing I often reflect on and have spoken about on this show before is how in the wellness world, it feels like it's dominated by white people, tends to be white women and white young women, and also white, very fit women, right? So (laughs) this idea of like your skin color, your physique, your gender, and even your age can be big obstacles to people trying something like yoga because they feel like they don't fit in or they don't look like the teacher or the teacher is not welcoming. And I've actually felt this way, even though I'm white, I'm a woman and relatively fit, however you want to determine that. And age-wise, within that bracket of what the cliche woman would yoga in that time of her life. But there have been times where I felt like my physique didn't fit in. I felt really self-conscious. Actually, I still battle with that. It's just an ongoing thing for me in my life, given my history with disordered eating. But there have been times where I was afraid to wear certain clothing in class because I was afraid of the teacher judging me or other students judging me. There were times where I just didn't want to look in the mirror. And the guest today is actually someone that I've taken classes with in person which is something I really want to talk about today. But main thing that I love, and I hope that we discuss a lot, is that feeling accepted in class makes such a big difference. And being in a place where you feel like everyone is equal and welcome. And that's actually a rare thing, especially in a city like Los Angeles, where I live and where Judy, the guest, lives as well. It can feel intimidating because there's so many people in a city like Los Angeles that seem to have it all together and have these great bodies and either they're really flexible or they're chiseled bodies or their age, all of these things that that I've been sharing. But before we get into that subject matter, I want to tell a little story about how I met Judy. It was at a yoga studio and I went to this studio for many years. Actually, I don't remember the first time I started there. But before COVID, this was where I went. And I had been experimenting with yoga throughout Los Angeles for many years. And I came across this specific chain of classes and locations throughout Los Angeles and loved it and found Judy as a teacher. And she quickly became one of the best yoga teachers I've ever had. But also, I wouldn't just limit Judy's work to yoga. Judy incorporates strength training and mindfulness. And there's so much more. I feel like yoga is like a very limiting term. And her class was called Yoga Shred. And that's actually part of her brand as we're going to get into today. So the word shred was about getting very mentally, physically, emotionally in the shape that you wanted. And because of COVID, I haven't been to an in-person class with Judy or any teacher in almost two years, which is really nuts. I was so into Judy's class that I would get there 30 to 40 minutes early because at this particular studio, there were limited spots. And Judy was one of the few classes at the entire studio and multiple locations, mind you, 
that you had to get there early because if you didn't, you ran the risk of not getting a spot, which was so amazing to me. And I was like, kind of anal about going to this class. I would like, I would plan everything down to the second, like when I would leave my place, about how long the traffic would take, parking, getting in there, signing in, because I not only wanted a spot in the class, but I wanted a very specific spot. And I wasn't the only one. There were a few other people that would line up and we would always be in the same spot. And then there were a couple people that I would have to compete with to get the specific spot that I wanted, which for a visual was like right by the door in the very front. It was like there's a mirror and a door right at the front of the class. And it was the top left corner if you were looking towards the front. And I always wanted that spot. And then I had some friends and they, one of them always had a spot right behind me. And then some of the others had spots in different parts of the class. And we would kind of like joke about this. So Judy, I'm so excited to have you here to catch up with you. I'm just really curious about what things have been like for you in the past year, but also the past two years, because COVID has shaped so much given how popular you were at the studio and in person and having to pivot to online classes that you're doing now. I'm kind of curious, what has that been like for you lately? Or what's been that journey, actually? Because I imagine you've gone through a lot of different mindsets about online teaching. And I know that you've done some in-person classes during these periods of time during COVID. We're able to do that. But what's been the journey since 2020 and making all these shifts since the good old days? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that intro, Whitney. I'm so excited to be here. And it's such an honor to be in your presence all the time. But since 2020, let's just say I think Every single person in the industry can relate to me in that everyone had to pivot some way. For me, I have a full-time job. I actually work in finance. I have a very um, corporate job. And teaching yoga was my passion. It was my form of creativity, my form of craft. A lot of people think it's just teaching yoga. But for me, I would spend stay up to like past midnight coming up with sequences and Sometimes I wouldn't even be able to sleep because I would get these ideas on how to train people, how I can take them to that next step. And so this was my passion. And overnight, I lost all that when the pandemic happened. It was just a simple phone call like, hey, we're canceling all your classes. We don't know when we're coming back. And I lost my community. And I felt like I lost this big piece of me that defined who I am, that I got to express myself daily and freely. So that was really hard. But the biggest pivotal point, I think, was I try to do free classes and just so that can be sane. And I ran into you. (laughs) I connected with you. You're one of the few people that showed up. And I was so grateful because I realized that having an online presence was so important. Before, prior to the pandemic, I used to think that was just vanity. It just did not apply to me. And I remember when I was teaching yoga, a lot of people came up to me and they said, how come your Instagram account isn't about yoga? It's just you posting pictures of your dog or you going on a trip. And I never thought that had any correlation. So Whitney actually showed me how I can change that and how I can enhance that and make that transition. So I started with TikTok. I created short videos. I went to Instagram Reels. So I basically listened to everything that Whitney said. (laughs) I hope at least 75%. (laughs) And it's been amazing. This journey that I've been on has been incredible. I saw an opportunity to early on to cater to the private in-person sessions. So that's where I've been pivoting myself towards because I saw myself comparing to other trainers who had millions of followers or tens and thousands of followers when I didn't. So I had to come up with a very creative way on like how I can sustain myself if I can't compete with those people. And that is okay. So finding that self-acceptance as well. So it's been a very interesting, like weird, yet very fun journey. And I'm still on it. And that's where it's been. Now we're back to in-person classes. So I have my community back. I also have my clients that I've had since the pandemic. And 
fortunately, they stay with me. So I feel like I have an amazing group of people just around me. So it's been a joy. I'm so glad to hear that because it has been a long journey of figuring all of these things out that were so new. I remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, probably in April 2020, after like the first few weeks of adjusting to it, maybe it was even later, I'm not sure, when I saw some of my favorite teachers, yourself included, starting these online classes, but nobody really knew what they were doing. I felt like very all over the place, getting used to the technology. I mean, it's also funny to think about how much people become comfortable with platforms like Zoom, because in spring 2020, a lot of people didn't know how to use Zoom. They weren't familiar with that. And now it just feels like second nature for a lot because that became the major platform that people were using. But then to your point, you had to re-tap into your community. And that was something I really noticed given my focus on marketing and social media of how many people were not set up to market themselves. They didn't even have email addresses for their students because if you worked at a studio like you were doing, you know, you were being employed by the studio. So the studio would have all the contact info. And if you wanted to go out on your own, there could be even a conflict there. And I'm sure it was just so complicated. And I was noticing this with a number of the teachers that I really loved. And also the community element, Judy, is such an important point here because that's the thing I miss the most. I actually, for the most part, really enjoy doing classes at home. Before COVID happened, I was the opposite. I didn't like taking online classes because I didn't feel like I had the accountability. And I still struggle with that, to be honest. Going to classes in person, I had this whole routine as I described. And I felt very motivated by that teacher seeing me in person and other students and the friendships I was creating there. And those are the things that I really miss. When I do things at home, I can turn off my camera. I feel like I should should admit this. I wouldn't normally, but I have been known to show up for a Zoom class and do like five or 10 minutes. And then like, I'll turn my camera off and I'll like check some text messages. I'll go to the bathroom. I get so distracted. I have a really hard time staying focused. And so I'm actually someone that could really benefit from in-person classes again. It's just I haven't felt comfortable to go back to them. The convenient side of it, though, is I can now do yoga anytime, anywhere, uh, whether it's an on-demand class like you've offered on your YouTube channel and the short videos you've done or some of the classes that other teachers have set up where you can go do live. I've literally done them all over the place. When I travel, I can take my yoga teacher with me, which was something I didn't have before. But the community element, again, going back to that, There were two people in particular, Judy, and I I won't say their names to secure their privacy, but you probably know who they are, a guy and a girl. And we actually, during COVID, started texting each other. And we'd be like, hey, did you know that Judy has these free classes? And we can now get back in the rhythm. And we would hold each other accountable through text message. And these are just people I knew from yoga, what I considered like actual friends, but they became friends over time because we were retaining that community. And talking to you today actually makes me want to reconnect with them. I also earlier today took one of your YouTube classes. I took, I think it was your 15-minute ab class. And it put me back into the experience of doing an in-person class with you. But again, Judy, I found myself slacking off. I found myself thinking like, okay, I don't have to do the whole 15 minutes. I can just do like 10 minutes and give up, even though that sounds silly in hindsight. Or I'm not going to do this move because no one's watching me, so they don't care. And that I really miss, especially from teachers like you, Judy. You cared. You would walk around the room. You would call people out. You'd say like, Whitney, you know, adjust this or Whitney, keep going or don't stop. And you would do it in such an encouraging way that someone like me really benefits from. And I deeply miss that. So I'm kind of curious, like, what's that been like as a teacher? You miss the community, but what has it been like in terms of how you had to shift your teaching mentality? I think I appreciated it more. Really, in the pandemic, anyone can say you start to realize what you appreciate. And I decided to make this my priority 
and it's my passion. So giving you an example, your story about community just made me think about this. One of the girls, you would probably recognize her face because she was one of the regulars that would show up pre-pandemic. And during the pandemic, she really isolated herself because she was working in a senior home in healthcare. And so I didn't get to talk to her. You know, she came to a couple of my online classes. And right after we were able to get the vaccine and the studio opened up, she showed up for her first class and she was sobbing. She was sobbing. And like, I just get the chills, but just for her to be there and do something normal, like taking a yoga class. And it just brought her all back to what her life was prior to the pandemic and how much she needed it. So the whole time is just the fact that we were there, it was just so beautiful. And when we got to take our masks off for after the vaccinations rolled out and LA County has some changes on what was required or not for indoor spaces, I just remember like, I teared up a couple of times because it felt normal. And I realized how much I miss this community of being that, being accountable. And I'm the same way with you. It's so hard for me to stay focused when I'm not held accountable by others. So I love taking classes. That is actually my main form of working out because I love the community. And also as someone who's in the fitness industry, who is always here to like learn something. I find that taking classes, any classes out there is a learning opportunity and an outlet for me to be creatively inspired. I think people underestimate how much creativity it takes for you to design a workout and for you to have this sense of perkiness when you meet people as an instructor. And it comes out naturally because you're in your zone. You know, it's like an actor performing the greatest act of their lifetime. That's just kind of how I feel every single fitness instructor can relate to is you're just in this zone. And I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, that leads me to speaking of being in the zone and crafting these routines. I was actually thinking this the other day. How exactly do you do that? Especially most of your classes are an hour long. Mm -hmm. How do you come up with what you're going to do and remember. Yeah. It's very impressive. All these different moves you're doing and the flow. There's You also are one of those great teachers, in my opinion, who has an amazing playlist of music and you're timing things out with the music. And as a student, I've often wondered, how do you do that? Like, how do you know what the next song is? You listen a lot. Like, basically, you memorize the shit out of your playlist until you can, like, hear the next song coming. I always say it's like rehearsing for a play. So when I first learned how to do it, I would just, every time I drove, which was a lot in LA and you get stuck in traffic, I would just rehearse what my line was. So like every single song, I would know the first 30 seconds of what I was going to say. And then I would hear, yeah. And then so I would hear the transition and I actually have a book of all my sequences. So like you have skeleton that you kind of build out and then there's a skeleton that certain studios want you to use. And you start out with that, but you get creative with it. And that's what I mean was I would just wake up at midnight, get inspired by this one song. And I'm like, I can totally write this sequence. And then I would stay up just like drawing stick figures of yoga moves. Yeah. So I have a huge book of that. And I think that's just how other people can relate to me is I'm not the only one that does it. Every single person does it. And there's a lot of working behind the scenes. And so I hope you're nicer to your teachers next time, whoever's listening. That's what I'm trying to say. We do a lot of work, (laughs) even if it's just like a 45-minute hit class. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I've ever asked a teacher this question before. So it just has me in a state of awe because... That's a lot of work. I think as a student, you can really take for granted in general. And I know another one of your passions is teachers. And I want to get to that next. Mm -hmm. Specifically, fitness teachers. It's like, oh, you just see them as like maybe going through the motions or something. Or maybe you don't even think about what goes into it. But the fact that you spend all of this time memorizing your lines and the pacing, coming up with new things and being creative, that also makes you stand out, Judy as a teacher, because like I said, I've been doing yoga off and on for, I think like 14 years or something like that, or maybe longer. 
16 years, I think. I think I started in 2006, first time I did yoga. And I've had a lot of different teachers and gotten a lot of different classes. And the reason that uh, I'm pulled towards teachers like you is because I can feel that you care and you put intention and thought into it. You are creative. I'm also someone that gets bored with the same routine. And the fact that you change things up and you also like adjust to the newest songs that come out, that is amazing. But there's a whole nother level to this that I didn't even recognize and the work that goes into that. I mean, like, how do you justify all the time? This is something that I'm also curious about is given, I don't know exactly how much yoga teachers get paid. I have an approximate idea, but it might make sense hourly for the time it takes just to teach the class. But the prep work that goes in, you're not getting compensated for any of that, right? So you're probably (laughs) getting paid way under your skill set. Oh, yeah. I mean, if people can know the drama that certain studios get enforced on seasonal teachers, I'm not going to name which studio, but I know just from being in LA and being a certain, like being the industry, talking to people, it's really unfair. And I think there has to be some kind of shift down the road. And hopefully there will be because those teachers do bring, generate a lot of clients and bring that namesake for the brand or the studio. So yeah, we do get compensated really little for what we do. But thank God for me is I love this. This is my passion. And I'm very fortunate to have a sustainable revenue generating job where it's like a full-time job. I saw, I say it's my big girl job and I moonlight as a yoga teacher. So this is my moonlighting gig for now. But not everyone's fortunate. And it does break my heart because I know how hard being good at this industry means. Yeah, I mean, it makes a huge difference. Because again, the experience you have as a student and staying accountable for yourself, because I think you're probably one of the teachers that have said this common line I've heard for years in fitness classes, which is the hard work is done. You just got yourself to class. And I think about that a lot. Actually, even at home workouts that I do, getting dressed, setting aside the time and putting out my yoga mat, which if you're watching the video, I usually just keep it out on the floor as a visual reminder for myself. But like prepping, gearing up, and then also picking a class, like all of that can be mentally overwhelming for me sometimes. Similar to in the past, I'd have to create my whole yoga schedule, get in the car, you know, go to class. Like there were so many times where that felt like the hardest part. And when I finally sat down on my mat at class, I was like, oh, this is easy. I've already created the momentum. And I think we need to acknowledge that, but also the teachers that encourage us to keep going. Because if you're not interested in the teacher and you don't feel like they care about you and that they see you, then maybe you feel like it doesn't matter if you show up or not. But someone like you, Judy, who really acknowledges each student and gets to know them on a deeper level. I mean, you and I have been fortunate to have a deeper relationship than I'm sure you have with most students. But I feel like you know most people's names. That was another thing I was impressed about. Like, how the heck did you memorize all of these students? Your classes were typically like, what, 50 people or something? Yeah, like around then. You know, I just talked to them a lot. And I got out of my comfort zone. And I'm very introverted. And I always consider myself a little bit of socially awkward person. And because I'm an introvert, I have extroverted moments, but I do need to recharge. I like I get very quiet. I'm pretty sure introverts out there can relate to me. So it was a challenge in the beginning to get myself out there and talk to people after class. I just remember like something at the voice inside me would be like, Oh my God, get the fuck out now, like go home and get dressed. But then I would be like, no, I have to talk to at least three people. And then, so that's what I did. I just kept talking to three people and I got to know them. I know so many people that from the yoga studio, I can call as my friend, as clients, and they've opened up so many doors for me. It's been really incredible. And really, we can't underestimate the power of great community. And that's what fitness does. It has no judgments, right? We don't care. It's just about a collective group of people who are here to 
let something out and to be part of something that is greater than themselves. I always start at the class asking, like, why are you here? You know, go down that rabbit hole of why and find your intention. Even if it's simple as I just needed to burn 300 more calories today, that is fine. But everyone has a reason and a journey and we're all here to just respect it. So being in a room where everyone has that common kind of goal or aura is so special and it does break a lot of barriers. So you end up being friends with people you would never be friends with, right? And a studio is a perfect place to meet people because you realize that all these people have cool jobs. Like, you know, I found out that one of my clients, like she works in Hollywood and I had no idea that she was doing all these things. And another client is like a restaurateur and the other one is like a venture capitalist and, you know, goes so on. And I met this other guy who like always wears his like high school shorts. I never thought he would be this fancy lawyer in LA. I'm like, wait, you don't even wear Lululemon, (laughs) but but you're here like falling out. So you just never know who you meet. And I don't know, Whitney, hopefully one day I'll see you in the studio, but hopefully when things die down, when this virus is a little bit more subsided or whatnot, you know, you can come back. Before March 2020, every guest on this show recorded with me in person because I wanted to ensure the highest quality sound possible. But this took extra time and effort to produce, plus it limited me to people who were visiting or living in Los Angeles. When I switched to Zencaster, I realized how much easier remote recording was for me and my guests. Now everyone can easily record studio quality sound from the comfort of their own homes. If you want to try it out, visit Zencaster.com and enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of the pro plan, which is what I use. I can't wait to hear your show, so send it over to me as soon as it's live. Well, just hearing you talk about these things is so helpful because it reminds me of what I missed. And I think one thing that you said earlier is when you went back to class and you took off your mask for the first time, it hit you on a physical level that you hadn't done that in so long. And as you were saying that, Judy, I was thinking about how I probably don't even realize how much I miss going to in-person classes. It's like you start to numb out maybe as a coping mechanism or you get used to things or there's so much trauma built up in us throughout this pandemic. And I imagine that that is a reason to do yoga even more so because you can release or work through a lot of trauma through the moves that you do. And I know that you have a few recorded videos on your YouTube channel. Oh, there was one about releasing tight hips, I think, or a tight back. And that's a place I've noticed that I store a lot of tension. And it's been really fascinating working on my bodily awareness. There have been spots in my body that I get pain ongoing and I'm not doing anything. I'll kind of go through a checklist. I'm like, okay, did I do a certain fitness move that's creating that pain? Did I sleep in a weird way? And sometimes I'll check off no on all these physical reasons that I might experience pain. And then I'll realize that must be a place where I'm holding tension or trauma. And it's manifesting my body as pain. So my body is begging me to work through it, to either stretch it, to acknowledge it, to maybe do some research on these specific pain points. And I'm kind of curious if this is something that you give a lot of thought to, Judy, given how much you effort you put into your workouts, when you're structuring a sequence, how much of it is focused on the physical benefit versus the emotional benefit? I think that depends on the style that you're teaching, Whitney. But for me, I always come from the physical benefit side of it, just because I got into yoga because of a chronic knee pain. I couldn't drive because of my knee. It was that bad. And so learning about anatomy and how yoga can benefit really helped me transform just the way I sit and the way I think about my body and my emotion, just everything that I do. So that's kind of where I approach things when I draw my sequence. And I think that 
translates into emotions and spirituality just by nature. Because when you start from something that you're very passionate about and you're very curious and interested in, that passion, I believe, will ooze in just all aspects. And it will touch people differently. Like I may have come in thinking like, hey, I'm going to do this and this is going to be a killer like glute workout. But I may have said something in class where it inspires someone to do something where like they, one of the girls told me that after my class, I said something in class where I said, be present. I forgot. It was something cliche. And then she was like, that's it. I'm quitting my job and I'm applying for a new one. So she did. And I would have never thought that it wasn't supposed to be an emotional, spiritual class. But I think when you're passionate about it, you will touch people in different ways. That's my take on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that also points out that people go to yoga for all different reasons. I mean, you mentioned the spiritual side of it. A lot of people think that yoga is like a religious practice or something. There's so many misconceptions about it. One of the things, as I mentioned earlier, that I love about your style of teaching, Judy, is like you do tap into all sorts of strength training, which is my preference. I actually am not a huge fan of flow. I don't really like doing the same like (laughs) a warrior one and two and, you know, all the different moves that you would go through in the sequence. And honestly, when I'm in a class like yours, that's my least favorite part of the class. (laughs) I'm like, can we just get this over with? But it's important because actually that does teach me patience. So a lot of the things that I'm struggling with, like my impatience, I can work through by a yoga practice because it feels meditative. The repetition and the boredom that I might feel from that actually have some mental benefits to me. But I love the physical side of it, feeling more flexible, feeling stronger, feeling more empowered, feeling more in touch with my body. I mean, the list goes on and on. And there's also so many different styles, like you mentioned too, Judy, that if you don't like one style of yoga, you can try another. And I really like going to classes that give you a variety of different styles to choose from. And then there are teachers like you where you might actually switch things up. And sometimes you might be more focused on one thing or another. Something else I miss about your classes, Judy, is you would sometimes focus on one particular part of the body like the abs, and we might be much more ab focused in that particular class. And then another class would be more about the legs. And again, for me, I like changing that. And I love learning more about my body and being pushed by a teacher like you. Another thing I want to touch upon that you shared earlier very briefly, which is this comparison mentality when it comes to different teachers. And that's something else that I noticed during pandemic, especially is a lot of teachers gravitating or being kind of forced into doing online classes because if they didn't do that, then they wouldn't be practicing at all. And this mentality of how do you make yourself different as a teacher, there feels like so much competition. But I think that you've already made it clear in this podcast episode what is different about you. So you naturally stand out. But one of the things that makes you special is what I shared at the very beginning and that you're representing all sorts of different people. In fact, you said, I think on your website that, or maybe it was in your bio, that your life goal is to represent Asian fitness trainers and dismantle the preconceived view of what a fitness trainer should look like. And I would love to know more about what that means for you and from your perspective, like What has been this preconceived view? What have you come across in your journey as a fitness trainer and feeling like maybe you haven't been represented as an Asian person? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it all starts down, boils down to Barbies. I know it's like a total change of subject, but hear me out. Because growing up, I loved Barbies, but all the Barbies were blue eyed and blonde. And they had perky boobs, they had an amazing ass, they were tall, really short hands, I mean, small hands and small feet. So I thought that was a standard of beauty. And I just never thought I would be a fitness instructor because I never meld into that. I remember like, even in high school or college, like I have a scar on my armpit because I had chicken pox in my armpits as a kid, which is so weird. <laughs> and So I still have scars from it. And then I would just get terrified, like just thinking about wearing like tank tops and like working out, you know, with my arms lifted, like that was terrifying. And 
just seeing like instructors being able to do that, I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to do it because instructors are like Barbies. They're pretty, they're blonde, they look like models, like Charlie Stern. And my yoga mentor, she's actually Asian. So I ran into her through this other studio in Arcadia. And I got to see her and I think I was able to relate to her more because she had an accent and she came from a different background. And without me knowing, I think that's what immersed me into yoga. Now that when I look back after now going on six years, six or seven years of teaching, I realized it was because of her and because she looked like me and because she looked like my aunties, I was like, hey, I can do yoga with her. And that's why I feel so empowered to show everyone that I'm short. I'm not blonde. I have brown eyes. I have dark hair. I'm a Korean American. I love working out. And you too can work out, even if you look like me, even if you don't look like a Barbie. Because like I said earlier, fitness is just, everyone's there for a common goal, which is something bigger than themselves. For me, my personal reason why I work out is so that I can be here in good health for the future people that I'm going to run into and fall in love with, right? Not just the present. Like if I have kids, if I have another dog, I want to make sure I'm there. So that's the reason why I put that on my website is I want people to just forget that fitness, forget about that preconceived notion. And unfortunately, in the fitness industry, it's still very slow. If you look at the top influencers, if you look at the models that are wearing the Lululemons, aloe yoga on those billboards, they're all a certain type. They all look like Barbies. And I'm not saying that that is wrong because people who look like that should be celebrated. I mean, they're beautiful, right? And there's a reason why they have those careers. But what I'm saying is there's a negative consequence to that in that it does marginalize a huge subset of people who love working out, who don't fit the mold. And that is okay. And Same thing with yoga. I am so passionate that we need to get rid of the word modification in general when we teach, just because when I do the splits, just because I can't touch the ground and I use a block, that's not a modification. That's just me still doing the splits. It's just my splits looks like this compared to yours on the ground. And, you know, how do you design a t shirt? expecting Kendall Jenner to fit into it and then look like that. But you can't expect me to look like that in it ever because I'm not her. I don't have her physique. And so I hope that this trend of diversity and accepting all body types will be translated into the fitness world. I think it's only a matter of time. But unfortunately, it's very slow going because I guarantee you go to SoulCycle, go to any kind of those top five studios that you know of and just search some of the instructors there. They fit a mold. And I dare you to find at least five Asian instructors in like each of those top boutique studios. You will not be able to count five Asian American instructors that are female as well. Maybe someone will disagree with me and I would love it if someone disagrees with me and shows me proof. But at least in... LA, I have not seen that. Wow. I mean, that's upsetting to hear just the way that you're pointing that out. And it makes me wonder how many studios are choosing their instructors based on their physique, you know, based on how marketable they are. Again, with my background in marketing, I often look at things through that lens. And it's really disturbing that you're right, because I look back, most of my teachers have been white and have been a very specific body type. And actually, as I mentioned earlier, I would prefer it not to be the case. A, because on personal ethical level, like I want equality, but B, even on the body side, like it's intimidating for me to have a teacher who I feel like has a body that I will never achieve, who in your point too, Judy, about like this modifications, it's such an interesting shift in my head to think about modifications that way, where when you use the word modification, you're telling someone, well, now you have to do something different because you don't 
fit into my routine or, you know, it's almost like maybe the people with disabilities might feel like they're kind of outcasts and they have to change things, but they can't be like the normal people or they can't live up to some sort of standard. And that's really heartbreaking. I personally get very excited when people look different. And that is so much more interesting. And I've actually really noticed that recently, the more I've tuned into myself and my sensitivities, I get very uncomfortable when I see some of these more like Barbie types as you're describing, because to me, it feels... I mean, the beauty standards is a huge issue. And it feels like it's all part of this big machine of capitalism, right? Like, it's easier to profit off of somebody if they look a certain way. It's easier to make someone feel insecure about their bodies if they don't feel like they fit the mold. It's easier to maybe get someone to keep coming back to yoga class if the teacher looks a certain way because that student's going to want to keep striving and striving. And I can tell you after 16 years or so of doing yoga, my body has not changed that much through yoga classes. Like I've had more awareness. I said there's been a lot of emotional impacts. I've certainly become stronger. I've become more flexible. But for years, I felt like a failure because my body wasn't looking like my teacher or some of the other students. And so that actually would get in the way of me because I would feel ashamed or I would feel like a failure. And to that point, Judy, on the subject of beauty standards, I think that can actually be very damaging for a practice like yoga um, or just fitness in general, because fitness is such an important part of our physical and mental well-being that we need to find every avenue possible to get people to do that. But if they don't feel like they're fitting in for whatever reason, and that's the reason they're not doing it, then that's a sad notion. So thank you for bringing that up. And thank you for the work that you're doing to dismantle this and to strive for more representation and all these different levels. It just makes me appreciate you so much more. Speaking of appreciation, something I touched upon earlier that I want to circle back to is your passion for teachers. You've done so much work to help teachers in school, and you seem so passionate about education. So I'm curious if where you're at with that now, but if you can give a little backstory to some of the work that you've done. I would love to. Thank you, Whitney, for that. So I am an immigrant. I came here when I was eight. And so I have a huge appreciation for school teachers. Because of them, I'm where I am right now. And I probably would not be an American without the teachers showing me how to be an American and assimilate into this culture. So with that passion in mind, when I found out that teaching is such a low-paying job, teachers have to pay for their own school supplies, I got really mad and got infuriated. So a couple of years back, I started a Kickstarter to combine my passion about with yoga and also to help out teachers. So I had these leggings designed by Kids Art. I was very fortunate to have a teacher to come into her class and then take a couple of drawings from her art class. And I worked with a designer to translate that into leggings. So I did, and it was fully funded through the Kickstarter. But unfortunately, during the pandemic, I realized one thing was at the end of the day, I was starting a new business, which was like a leggings brand business. And all I wanted to do was go out there and help teachers. And so it was just so hard for me to like try to sell something because I don't care about yoga leggings. I care about helping teachers. So I folded that side of my business and I kind of dabbled into like helping teachers on my own through social media. I think I did that. My goal was to do it for the whole year, but unfortunately only lasted three to four months, I think. But I did, that was a great way for me to like meet teachers over social media and then talk to them and donate. I mean, from the Kickstarter alone, I think I raised around 7K and I donated about $3,500 just to the teachers all over. And it was, so in tandem with my Kickstarter, I had a campaign through social media where I was collecting teachers who needed school supplies. And I think I spent like two hours just on Amazon after the Kickstarter ended, just sending money out. And to be honest, like I did not make money off of this leggings at all. Like because of the amount that I donated, I was actually 
under the water for a bit with my savings. And then when I did the social media campaign, I used my own funds to help out the teachers as well. But unfortunately, I ran into like some personal crisis. And because of that, like I wasn't as consistent. So that's where I'm at with my passion to physically help out the teachers. But this is a PSA to everyone who doesn't know anything about how hard teachers have it is, yes, teachers in America have to pay for their own school supplies. And some teachers are fortunate enough to be in a district where the principal and their superintendents allow budget that's big enough for a teacher to buy their own school supplies. However, there are so many counties, so many districts within that county that do not do that. Like some teachers have to pay for white paper. Some teachers have to pay for color paper. They have to pay for their own glue. You know, if a student who comes from a dysfunctional family and their parents did not buy them school supplies, then the teachers would have to buy them their school supplies. And the teachers, yes, they get a tax deduction annually for the amount of money they spend on the supplies. But that tax deduction is, from what I've heard, it's not that much. It's like four figures. It's like menial compared to like, if you had a job, like a corporate job, and you were expensing your happy hour, which costs like $3,000 for 10 people. You know what I mean? It's very different mindset. So I always like to say like, imagine you started a new firm, and then the company tells you, okay, great, you started, but you're going to have to pay for your own paper. Printing is going to cost like 10 cents per copy. So be careful with that. And by the way, spend $2,000 on equipment because we're not going to give you anything. We're never going to give you a raise for the next six years. And if you do, it might be 3%. We're not sure. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone would take that job. Wow. It seems like something that you can really relate to as a teacher, as we talked about earlier. I mean, all the work it takes behind the scenes for you to be a great fitness trainer you're not being compensated for it. So I imagine a lot of teachers don't put a lot of effort into their fitness classes because they feel like, why should I do that when I'm not being paid for this time and I'm already being paid a low amount? And it's just like, in a lot of ways, what you're describing with the teachers at school. And to your point about how much of an impact teachers made for you as an immigrant, many people have felt the impact of a good and a bad teacher. You know, that has a long lasting ripple effect on us as human beings, because most people spend the majority of their time at school before the age of 20 or so. So their brains are still developing their social skills, their confidence, their knowledge. And that ripple effect that has on the rest of your life in terms of the work that you do. I mean, it's so important for teachers to be supported and feel like they can thrive. And it's heartbreaking to hear that they are faced with this question of, well, do you have enough money to spend on your students? And I didn't know that. I mean, that's a huge shock. And I'm so grateful again for the work that you're doing there, Judy. I am very grateful to have Zencaster as a sponsor. They have been so supportive of the show through social media and newsletter shout outs. Plus, they have truly incredible customer service. Their all-in-one podcast production platform keeps getting better and better because they take user feedback seriously. I'm especially grateful for the HD video recording features, which makes it easy to put this show on YouTube and social media. If you want to try it out, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try, and you can enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of their pro plan, which, as I mentioned, is what I use for the show. If you have any questions about podcasting, send me a message, and I'd be happy to share more tips and tricks. And you touched upon social media and how much of a part that that played in your ability to support teachers. And I'm also curious, going back to that side of your work, how social media has been for you? What are the pros and cons? Obviously, that's a big pro because you're able to raise awareness about teachers. You're able to collect donations, get people interested in, in it, meeting other teachers. And you also touched upon earlier how you pivoted to platforms like TikTok and you started making videos. 
what has the role of social media been for you since the pandemic? And I also know that you struggled with platforms like TikTok at times. They're not always <laughs> a great place to be mentally. So I'd love to share more about where you've been with all of that. Absolutely. So social media, I think it's a two-edged sword. I think that's what we call it, right? I struggle with idioms here and there. First, it was great because I was able to create these videos. It was my form of creativity during the pandemic. So creating those TikTok videos, Instagram Reels videos, they were so much fun. And right now we're in this booming, you know this better than I do, Whitney, but we're in this booming trend of just making short clips. And I think that's why every single social media platform out there is becoming like their next version of TikTok. And funny enough, my videos have been doing pretty well on Pinterest compared to like other social media platforms. So I've been invited to be a part of Pinterest creators. So it was kind of cool. I thought they were lying to me, but it's a select group of 45 to 50 people that they've handpicked from their headquarters. And we're contracted for six months to just curate our videos. We go on meetings to follow, you know, talk about trends and what's out there. And it's a new program that they started out with. So yeah, I've been having a lot of fun. I'm part of that. I think my contract ends in March. But that's been my social media journey. Having said that, because I come from a very competitive background, and I also have a history of depression and all that and that I can delve into if you want to know <laughs> in college, I think I, I do compare myself a lot. And I realized that Instagram wasn't very healthy for me mentally because I felt like I had to keep going. I had to keep the engagement alive. I had to respond to all the DMs that it was just really exhausting for me when I would get a comment that was not so nice or I would get someone's DM calling me, hey, you're really stupid, like a complete stranger, <laughs> you know, or like TikTok trolls trolling my videos because they think it's very sexualized when I didn't mean it sexual at all. To give you an example, one of the videos that I thought would be funny, apparently in retrospect, it's, it was very sexual to a lot of perverted people out there which I'm part of, everyone's perverted, let's not get that wrong, but some people can be very mean. And people on TikTok just started trolling me. And before I knew it, I was getting like thousands of comments by the minute. I think I was experiencing what we call a viral moment because I think I checked how many views I had on that video. And every 30 minutes, it would go up by 10, 20,000. And all these people were leaving comments it kind of shook me because it was just not very nice comments. So I turned the comments off. And then what those guys were doing was they were going on my other videos. And then they were commenting on that, like, turn around and show me your ass, like things like that, as if I was an object that like, they just wanted to, you know, see and whatnot. And I'm not in that business. I didn't create the social media for that kind of business. That's something else, right? So I said something on Instagram about it and someone actually messaged me a photo of a girl getting fucked and then they photoshopped my head on it. And so I woke up at like 5 a.m. ready to train my clients. I look at my DM and there's this like random stranger that says like, haha, boys are stupid or perverted. And then he photoshopped my face on a girl that's getting fucked with like a dick on it. And so that really shook me for a while. And yeah, and I've been questioning everything that I do on social media, but we need it. As a fitness instructor, you definitely need social media. That's how you show the world that you're legit. That's how you show the world that you're an expert. That's how people judge you. And that's how people know that you're legit. That's the world that we live in. So I don't know. That's just where I am with social media is I have an Instagram account, but I try not to go on it too much. Right now, I just go there just to post and do my thing and leave. I'm more active on Pinterest and getting back on TikTok. But those kind of experiences have definitely left a little bit of trauma and a little bit of hesitation on my end, for sure. Wow, I don't blame you. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. It was actually eye-opening because I remember you telling me when that instance happened with TikTok. and. You, I think, are the only person I know 
directly that has gone through something like that. And it it was an important moment for me because it was like taking off the rose-colored glasses. I have a lot of positive feelings about TikTok. I have less positive feelings about Instagram and other platforms, even YouTube, because I've experienced some negative things there, although not quite to the extent that you have. So I can't fully relate to it, but it, it's so sad to hear this. And I know that other people go through all sorts of extreme versions of bullying. And, you know, I hope that a shift happens where right now it seems like there needs to be some sort of collective monitoring and a big change. Because for so long, I thought, Judy, like, oh, you can just block these people. You can ignore them. Maybe if you just move from this platform to that one or this account to this one, then you will be able to stay away from those people. But the truth is they tend to follow you no matter where you go, except for maybe platforms like Pinterest. Hopefully you haven't experienced anything to that level there. But you know, even there, like people can comment and, and other women can be rude. I mean, you're describing something that a lot of men were doing to sexualize you as a woman, but women can be just as awful to one another. And also it's not just a gender thing, of course, like it can happen from anyone. And it can happen on any platform. And it's an incredibly disturbing side of this, given the mental health thing. It's just sad because what you're saying about feeling like you have to be on these platforms, you have to keep up, you have to make sure that people see that you have a following and that you're being active and that you're posting the right photos. I mean, there's so much pressure that goes into it. And it's sad that that has become the main way in which we market ourselves, but we feel like we have to always be on. We always have to be hustling. We can never stop. And I imagine for the listener too, after hearing someone like you, Judy, and all you have to offer and all of your passions and the things that you're doing, like that you have to pause certain things or pivot in certain ways to avoid these people that are basically getting in the way of you being able to get that message out. And the trauma that that causes is something that I really advocate for, but it really says something about humanity, right? (laughs) Like it's just, we live in a time where somehow a huge percentage of the population gets away with stuff like that. Yeah, it's true. I'm just so sorry you had to go through it. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I have a mantra that I live by, which is it could always be worse, but it could always be better. So just enjoy what I have now, (laughs) which is, that's just how I see this. Yes, it was bad, but at least I'm not someone who has like millions of followers. And, you know, I can't imagine their inboxes and DMs if me just like with my teeny, teeny bit of followers that like just kind of experience, I just can't imagine what those people go through. So at least I'm not in their shoes, right? I don't know if it sounds kind of, I'm settling or something like that. But for me, that's just how I rationalize a lot of things. And that's how I get out of, I think, a lot of these moments that set me back is, yes, it could always be worse. It could always be better. But what are you going to do now? Because this is what I have. You know, I got to do something about it. And it's an experience that I had. And I love talking about it because I think we need to like warn people out there that this is very real and it could hurt other people because those people that DM me, they have no idea that, you know, in college I was sexually assaulted. And because of that, I had bouts of depression for two years. At one point I was even suicidal, you know, and then like I spent like a whole year in college where I couldn't even look at the mirror because I was so self-conscious, you know, like if those people knew that side of me, like had they, would they have said the words that they did, you know, like I've had guys on like DM me, like you look so fucking stupid. Or like I had a guy like, you know, just like comment on like my features or like just, you know, stuff like that. And if I go through it, then it means that other people go through it too. And they have it so much worse. And I just wish that people could take a step back, even though it might seem funny to make a meme out of it or like to post it on Reddit or just like send it to your friends. But, you know, that person has a story too. You don't know what that person went through and how it could affect them and what kind of stuff it could bring up. So that's just my thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it also ties into this discussion around like comparison and realizing that the grass may not always be greener for someone just because they look more successful or they have more following or even your points about these Barbie body types, you know, given how sexualized you were and you don't feel like you fit the Barbie type mold. I imagine that women or men or, you know, again, gender aside, anybody will have an experience of being sexualized, especially if they fit the beauty standard, because it's almost like, well, this person's asking for it because of the way that they look, sort of the clothes that they wear, the way they do their makeup or the poses that they do. There are so many instances of that. And that's another thing that I just find so deeply disturbing. But unfortunately, just the state of the way that a lot of people think. And so your point too, Judy, is instead of being upset and focused on other people and what they're doing and saying, it's like asking yourself, what can you do? And going back to that question you asked at the beginning of your yoga classes, it's like, why are you here? What is your intention? And I think that is one of the best ways that we can move through these challenges is to go inward instead of focusing so outward. Because a lot of times the struggles we have mentally are when they're outward facing. And that leads me to something else that you had written about and wanted to talk about, which was mental hacks to get out of the mental funk. And I'd love to hear that you have three mental hacks. I don't know if you remember them all. If you don't, then I have them here on my list. But I would love to just know what things work for you when you're in a mental funk. Yeah, I actually have the lists on the screen. So if you're looking at a video, it might look like I'm turning away, but I'm actually reading my list. The first one is talk in the mirror. That's how I got through my year of dis- depression was I couldn't look at the mirror because I thought I was so, so worthless and I thought I was this hideous person, right? So one thing that I did because I had to put my makeup on, I had to look at myself, right? So I would close my eyes and it's so cheesy, close my eyes and then say out loud, like in a whisper, I am beautiful, like 10 times and open my eyes. And it's so weird, but doing that ritual, like every morning was what allowed me to put my makeup on and look at myself for like a couple of minutes so that I can at least look presentable to the world. So to me, I think that's a great mental hack. If you're in a funk, I don't know where you are mentally, um, if you're listening to this, but I hope that helps. And then the second one is creating small wins. So even if it is putting your cup in the sink so that you can wash it later, (laughs) you know, like you don't have to wash it now, but you can put it in the sink to wash it later. That's a win or your hair is a little greasy, so you dry shampoo it. You don't have to shower, but you can dry shampoo that shit. That's a win. You know, just creating small wins that you can do so that you can go and achieve bigger wins or what you really wanted to do for today. And the third one is journaling. For me, I survive a lot on journaling. Nowadays, I type a lot faster than I write. So I actually have a lot of notes that I put on my MacBook. And I have a file that says burn. It's super cheesy, but those are docs that I don't ever want to look back because those are my dark moments. But that's just when I did that, it was just so cathartic. Those are the things that I learned when I was depressed was I had to do those things. Like looking back, that was what sustained me. And that's what I think eventually gave me the courage to call my mom when I was on my last wit. So that's what I have with me. The three mental hacks is talk to yourself in the mirror, tell yourself you're beautiful, and then create small wins. And the third one is journal. Those are all really powerful. And I also like that they're so simple because to your point, when you're really struggling, you don't want to do anything that feels like effort. And so if you can pick one of these things or maybe do a few of them, all three of them, you have the opportunity to make a movement towards something more positive for yourself. And of course, it's not always that simple. And you have such an inspiring story given all of these things that you've gone through. And 
the resilience that you've built over time. And I think that's also one of the big reasons why you're such a powerful teacher because that you've worked through all these things. Like you just said, the darkest moments help build you up and create the person that you are today. And maybe that's a bit cliche, but you've certainly demonstrated that through everything that you've shared today. And I'm just so grateful. You've certainly inspired me to go to your in-person classes, but I know not every listener will have the opportunity to do that. Maybe you'll get a listener from the show, a show up in person. I know you offer the private classes, but for people that are don't have access to you in person, Judy, I'd love for you to share what you have online that they could try right now if they feel inspired to take one of your classes. So I have a couple of classes on YouTube. Um, definitely check me out there. And I have short yoga related tips that are available on Pinterest, on TikTok and Instagram. That's where you'll find me. I cannot wait to check out the Pinterest account that you have. I, I have not looked at it. And I'm so glad that you brought it up because right now I tend to look at TikTok and Instagram and sometimes YouTube, although I don't spend much time there. But Pinterest is such an amazing platform. And I'm so proud of you and excited. And I can't wait to see what you're doing there. And I imagine many listeners are also on Pinterest. It feels like a positive place. And it's it's a platform that's like, gone through all these different waves of popularity. So if you're someone like me who hasn't been on Pinterest for a while, maybe this will inspire you to go on there. I'm going to check it out as soon as we wrap up today. And Judy, I will link to everything that you do in the show notes for this episode so the listener can easily find you on their platform of choice and get all the resources that you've mentioned today. See the transcript, if there's any quotes there. If you haven't watched the video version, it'll be there too. And all of that is at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Once you're in the podcast section, you can find this episode and everything will be there for you. Judy, I'm just so grateful to know you. You've inspired me in so many ways. I feel so good. I took one of your classes. I got to spend all this time with you. Like You really have a beautiful ability to uplift people. And thank you for taking the time to do that for the listener as well. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much, Whitney. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.